Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Evangelism is not for the weak, all right? I should know. I wrote a whole book about it, self-published. Most Christians, they are just good for bake sales and potluck dinners. I share my faith. Okay, that's a lie. People don't even know I'm a Christian. I want to. Again, another lie. I hardly shower, much less have the will to do anything else. I believe it's a responsibility. No. The privilege, no. The glorious privilege of every believer to share their faith with others. That's why I share my faith with everyone I come in contact with. Repent for the kingdom of the Lord is nigh. Come to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hi, my name is George. And I'm Jorge. And together we're George and Jorge. Right, right. Uh, What we like to do is to take secular songs and reprogram them. Mm, Okay. Now, if there was pizza and ice cream every time there was faith sharing, I'd do it. That's a lie. I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, you're my waiter or waitress? I got a tip for you. Surprise! It's the gospel. I mean, what do you want, money or eternity? (laughs) Hey, lost sinner, I just have to ask you, what makes you tick? What is it? You're headed to H-E-Double Hockey Sticks. Hey, lost sinner, why don't you just give it all up to Jesus? talking to people about your faith? I, I don't really like people, but I love Jesus. <laughs> Scripture mint? Wow, well, good morning. Welcome to Liquid Church. Yeah, sure, you can clap about that. We're, uh, today we're finishing a series called The Backyard Gospel, where it's a series all about evangelism, talking to your friends about Jesus without being weird like those guys. So, Man, I'm hoping that today, as we continue that conversation, we won't end up where those uh, folks are. My name's Rich Birch. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Liquid Church. And, you know, Pastor Tim and Pastor Tom, they're both on vacation today, so I'm glad to be your third choice. So uh, (laughs) thank you for welcoming me, kind of, I guess. Uh, We also want to welcome those people from Nutley and New Brunswick who are here. Let's give them a round of applause. We're so glad that they've uh, joined us and decided to spend time uh, here with us today as well. Well, last week, Pastor Tim uh, talked about divine appointments. Do you remember that? I know in my life this week, uh, I found myself looking for times where my life might intersect with other people and ask God, you know, God, is this one of those divine appointments? Are you asking me right now to step out uh, in faith? And so we're going to continue that conversation today. We're really kind of wrapping up that part of the discussion. And I'm going to talk about an area in my life that, you know, there's been a little bit of tension, or I'd say, like, to be honest, it's been a tough part uh, for me to share uh, the faith of my faith in Jesus. So that's that's where we're going uh, today. How's your summer vacation been? I know kind of once we get into August, it starts to be like, uh uh-oh, the fall is coming. Like, you can start to feel that. It starts creeping in. Uh, For me, the best week of my summer uh, was, now maybe there'll be another great one here by the end, but I don't think so. Uh, But one, you know, the best week of my summer was we went down to Rehoboth Beach uh, in Delaware. Anybody been there before, Rehoboth Beach? A few people. I know. See, it's not Jersey Shore, so like people are like, I don't know. There are beaches other places in the country. 
Uh, but Rehoboth Beach is super nice, like Jersey Shore. My, my oldest nephew, my brother's son, uh, is going to college this fall, playing football. And so my parents rented this place down Rehoboth Beach. I think they did that because they think we're never going to be together again. It was like, you know, had that kind of like, well, let's get together for one last family vacation kind of thing. Uh, it was an amazing week. Really one of those, you know, life memories that last a lifetime. You know, we were out on the beach, hanging out, sparklers on the beach at one night, you know, riding our bikes, all that stuff. It was an incredible uh, week together. It was amazing. You know, in the morning, my son and I, we'd go out for bike rides. And the first morning, uh, we ended up, you know, down the boardwalk, because you could only go on the boardwalk, where you're only supposed to go on the boardwalk before 10 a.m. And we ended up down, uh, down the boardwalk a little bit. And there was one of those historical signs. You know, you've seen these before, right? I'm a sucker for these. I've been known to, like, do U-turns in the road. Hey, I think there's one of those signs. Eh, let's go over there and read that. And so on that first morning, stopped and read this. And the incredible thing about Rehoboth Beach uh, was that it started as a Methodist camp meeting, like a, a spiritual retreat center. It was the kind of place people would go to kind of engage in, you know, their spiritual life. It was a place for people to kind of withdraw from culture uh, and, you know, try to recharge their spiritual batteries. Now, things have changed a little bit in Rehoboth Beach since then. Things are a little different, like the shore here in Jersey. You know, things, it's no longer a spiritual retreat center. You know, like take the music, for instance. We were, um, you know, you're walking up and down the boardwalk and all the stores have music pumping. And I heard these girls singing the, uh, Miley Cyrus's song of the summer. I don't know if you heard this song. It's an incredible song. I'm going to read you the lyrics here. Let's put them up on the screen. Uh, it's red cups and sweaty bodies everywhere. Hands in the air like we don't care. Because we came to get to have so much fun now. Bet somebody going to get some now. Now, that's the, that old Methodist song, you know. It just was like, <laughs> ah, it just... I'm pretty sure what she's talking about getting some, I think she's talking about spiritual development is what she's, you know, that's where she's, uh, you know, talking about. But anyways, obviously, you know, this music, right? What am I supposed to do? I've got a 12-year-old daughter. Do I just let her kind of bump and grind along to that? Or, you know, as a, as a Christ follower, how, how am I supposed to react to that? What part is music supposed to play in my life? How am I, is there any way that that can be kind of used in, in our conversation about, about Jesus? Or, you know, so there's six kids, six grandkids between my brother and I. He has had four kids. I've got two. I replaced my wife and I on the planet. He kept going. You know, that, that was kind of how that went. But, you know, the, you know, it always seemed like our kids, you know, had technology permanently attached to their hands. Who's, you know, seen this kind of thing where you're down the beach and like, you know, got this incredible ocean. It's amazing. And like, we're all focused on our little devices, you know. There's something about texting and Instagramming at a, at a family vacation like this, a spiritual retreat, that, you know, really changes it, right? It turns it into something different. You know, I wondered, you know, if the folks from Mahoboth Beach a couple hundred years ago, if they could imagine what that media must have been like, you know, where this thing, uh, you know, was going to head. It was, you know, incredible. Or, you know, at the end of the day, we'd come home um, and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd gather around the world's largest television. They had this massive TV at this house we rented, and uh, it was incredible. You know, like thousands a year, for thousands of years, we've been gathering around the campfire at the end of the day, telling stories. And so the same thing. We'd all kind of pile into this um, you know, living room and turn on the TV and they're all ads for the summertime. And I still remember the World War Z ad from earlier in the summer was playing. And my daughter, who's 12, again, I told you that, um, she was like, dad, 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 I want to go see World War Z. You know, Pastor Tim used that in church. That makes it okay, right? And I was like, walking dead, maybe. Not, not uh, World War Z. Anyways, so what are we supposed to do with that? The whole zombie thing, this is a whole aside. This has got nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. But what is the thing about zombies? Like everywhere we go, right? Zombies in our culture. It's like zombies this, zombie, zombie run, all that stuff. But we're kosher with that, right? Or we're okay with that because, you know, we're about, Christians are about the resurrection, right? Things coming back from the dead, that's fine. You know, that, that's okay, right? 
Anyways, that, again, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Stick to the notes. Tim, stick to the notes. Okay. Okay. Music, media, movies. How are we supposed to respond to that? How, how uh, you know, as Christ followers, I sometimes feel at tension, you know, with the culture around me. Man, that's, that's heavy stuff for vacation. I, really, I was thinking about those things during the week. And my hope was to go down, read some books, and not burn my head. That was really my goal for vacation. But I found myself coming back to this time and time again. Well, then I come home. And you've had this happen, right? You come home from vacation first day at work, what happens? You open up your email, and there's an onslaught of email in your box, right? 163 messages. You've got to go through and crank through, through all of them. And, you know, you have to filter through them one at a time and again. And this little beauty was in my inbox, the Halloween costume catalog. I'm like, people, it's August. Who is picking their Halloween costumes in August? But sure enough, it was there. It's even in my inbox, in my face, you know, constantly confronted with culture that doesn't point us towards Christ. Is there any way that we can redeem any of this stuff and use it to help people take steps towards Jesus? That's really the question we're going to talk about. You know, take, take Halloween for a minute. I, uh, you know, Halloween is one of those part of culture that I feel a disconnect with, right? I feel tension with. It seems like it's all about getting guys to dress up in a disgusting costume that's used to scare people and getting girls to dress up in a costume that elicits a different response. Um, <laughs> not sure what that response is. It's just different. Um, you know, you know, I know, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Halloween, why are we talking about Halloween? It's summertime, like what we should be kicking on the back porch. But, you know, ha- some of you are saying, like, you know, what's the big deal with Halloween? It's a chance for people to go out around your neighborhood and get, cu- and get great candy. That's, that's what it's all about. It's a fun holiday. Well, some people are like, Halloween, it's a pagan ritual. It's like, it's disgusting. We should have nothing to do with that. It's a celebration of the dead. It's darkness and, and evil. We don't, as Christians, we should have nothing uh, to do with it. You know, at this time of year, the stores are starting to stock up with Halloween stuff. I was just in Michael's yesterday, not because I'm a crafter, but because my mom is, and honestly, um, and was there with my mom, and they already have the aisle of stuff for Halloween, right? It's the fake tombstones, the, you know, all that stuff. It's all out already, and we realized early on in our parenting that this was one of those things we had to figure out as parents, my wife and I. Uh, we need to think through what we did with this cultural influence, how, how this kind of, what difference did this holiday thing make you know, for us. And, you know, I realized when I opened the Bible, you know, in the back, they have that list of like index of all different words. There was nowhere in there that said acceptable Halloween costumes, you know, under A. Or under Z, there was no place where it said zombies. Like it just is not there. So we had, we had to come up with a time or find a time in scripture where people were confronted with a culture, you know, that was, that was presenting something different and, and how they responded. So actually turn with me to Acts 17. We're going to look at that passage today. You've got Bibles with you in our campuses here or, you know, in Nutley and New, Brun- New Brunswick. It's on page 772. You know, to make that uh, simple for you, this is an incredible part of the story. And in fact, uh, what happens here consistently messes with my mind when I think about how we relate with the culture around us. It's, it's one of those things when I come back to it, I'm like, man, that's amazing. I need to learn from that. I need to, to watch what happens here. Um, and to give you a sense of where we're at in the story. So the main guy in this story is a guy by the name of Paul. Paul's an evangelist. He's someone who's a messenger of the good news of Jesus, what we've been talking about in this this series. He had been going from town to town, telling people about the incredible things that happened in his life and into the lives of the friends around him. And so we find him at this point in the story in Athens. Now, now Athens is in modern-day Athens. It's in Greece. Um, it's one of the. It's an actual place in the world. You could go there uh, today. Actually, this pl- the, where this happens. You could go and visit this. 
um, today. So we're going to take a look here, um, and we find him at this point in Athens, and we see him concerned about what's happening around him in Acts 17, verse 16. Uh, Let me take a look at this. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. I love it. Paul was greatly distressed. That's the kind of thing they only say in the Bible, right? Like, when was the last time you said it? Like, I'm greatly distressed. Uh, But Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Wow, I'm so glad we don't live in a culture full of idols anymore. Like, that's just, I'm so glad that's just not who we are. Um, You know, Paul lived in a pre-Christian culture. We have a lot in common with him. But we live in what's called a post-Christian culture. In his day, his idols were named, or the idols in their community were named Athena and Venus. In our days, it's Miley and Nikki and whatever else is happening, uh, you know, in the broader culture. Well, what are we supposed to do as Christ followers when we feel at odds with the culture around us? How are we supposed to share the good news in the face of this? What did Paul do? You know, you've got music, media, movies, the culture. It's hard to fit all this together. And then you've got stuff like Halloween floating out there. That's like more than just stuff out there. It's like it actually comes onto your front lawn. You know, we've been talking about the backyard gospel. What happens when all this stuff literally lands on your front lawn? I I know this whole idol talk to our modern ears can sound a little strange, right? Were there people actually that, you know, bowed down to these idols? Or they were. It was a real part of their culture that day. It was a dark and sinister part, but a very real part. Paul was a religious dude, and he knew that idols were the kind of thing that God wanted nothing to do with. In, In fact, in fact, it's on God's top 10 list of things that we should avoid. Uh, like here in, in uh, Leviticus 9, 19, verse 4. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourself. No metal gods. Uh, I guess there goes Bon Jovi. Um, the, uh, Paul is noticing something in the culture here, right? That he's like, hey, this is clearly this idol thing is a big deal to the people in Athens. The kind of thing that, that, they're, that is pre- really prevalent. But he knows it's at odds with uh, with the kind of a biblical understanding or a Christian understanding of how to live uh, a life. And so he's not sure, you know, what to do. How is he supposed to live? He wants to fit in with his new city. See, Paul, the reason why he's in Athens is he wants to tell people there about Jesus. But how is he supposed to interact with a culture that opposes his values as a Christ follower? What are we supposed to do as Christ followers when our culture doesn't seem to reinforce Jesus? It opposes the things of Jesus. Well, the first reaction, you know, Paul could simply reject the culture around him. He could, you know, he could get totally disturbed, right? We get that idea, you know, he was greatly disturbed. You know what that's Greek for? He was totally pissed off. He couldn't take it anymore. He was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. He could become the great rejecter and go bananas and get rid of all those idols. He could be, you know, we, we got to just tear them all down. We got to occupy Athens. We got to get rid of all this stuff. There just shouldn't be a part of our culture. Paul could react like that. That's an option that he has. You know, you and I might react a similar way, maybe not kicking things, but a real similar kind of way in our culture. Let's say, you know, there's a group of guys at your work or people at your work who, you know, once a month on a Friday, they go out for drinks after work. And, you know, sometimes things are said and done at that that you know, just aren't very good. And, and, and so, you know, we could reject that and actually reject that whole crowd of saying, I want nothing to do with those guys. I, want, I don't want any part of that. In fact, I'm not even going to be friends with those guys. I'm going to reject them. You know, that's one option that he has. There are people in our culture, Christ followers, who feel that way when they think about the broader culture. Well, Paul does have another option. Instead of just objecting or rejecting the culture, instead of just, you know, going bananas and getting rid of everything, he could receive the idols as fact and just kind of blindly say, hey, man, it's okay. 
Don't worry about it. He could be like, what's the big deal? They're just a few little idols. You know, they're very well made. You know, and they, they talk about a lot of positive things. And, you know, what if, we, what if instead of getting all bent out of shape, we said, you know what, it's okay. Let's just relax. Take mellow. What if, we, what if Paul could say, hey, you know what, why don't we make an idol to Jesus? And we could set that on like a really prominent street because we want people to see this idol. In fact, it would be like a really cool looking idol. And he could say, yeah, let's just kick back. Ooh, this is going to explode on me. And just, you know, relax. Don't worry about it. He could receive those idols. He could, instead of fighting against them, just, ma- just blindly say, hey, it's okay. Take them in. You know, and we could respond like that in our culture around us. You know, that could be a way that, you know, when we think about all these things, music, media, media, culture, all that stuff, we could just be like, like, don't worry about it. What's the big deal? You know, maybe you have a friend of yours that invites you to, at my gym, they have this class. And I can't forget, I forget the name, tells you how long it's been since I've been to the gym. Um, and it's like, it's like kind of like yoga, but it's not. It's like something else. And it, it's like has some like, you know, Eastern mysticism kind of thing. And it's like really good to firm up your undercarriage. You know, like... You could just say, like, I'm going to do that, even though, like, hey, I know it, like, maybe doesn't push in the right direction spiritually, but I don't want to offend my friend. I just want to accept it. I don't want to fight it. I just, I just want to, you know, kind of make it happen. No problem. You know, so does he confront or concede to culture? This is really the tension that Paul feels at this moment, right? And, you know, I feel the same way when we think about Halloween. You know, we think about the costume. This is that time of year where, like, my kids, again, maybe your kids are, I'm sure your kids are much better Christians than my kids. But my kids, like, summertime starts to end, and then we start having the conversation about, okay, what are we going as Halloween? And so, like, you know, there's the boys' costume that's like, Dad, I want the costume where you, like, you push the little thing in your hand and all the blood goes down your forehead. Now, who's seen this costume, right? This is ridiculous, right? I want to be that guy, right? Well, maybe, you know, there's two reactions to that as a Christ follower. You could, you could just totally reject that and say, like, hey, you know, son, unless you go something from Little House on the Prairie, you're not going at all. You know, just hey, forget it. You could reject it. Or you could say, you know, hey, that's fine, little Jimmy. Not sure who little Jimmy is, but little Jimmy, you know, why don't, why don't we not only get the one where the blood goes down, but there's also the one where the brain oozes out, too. Like, hey, that's fine. Like, come on, it's, it's fine. You know, although it's fun to, to, to joke about, you know, that, that I think is the tension that Paul feels here. Does he want to simply reject or, or, or receive this culture that's in front of them? What does Paul do? Does he reject or receive? These are two different choices that Christians, we have, you know, when we think about uh, how we respond to our culture. The incredible thing is that Paul chooses a third way. Let's take a look in your, in your Bibles to verse 22 and see what he has to say there. Paul then stood up in the meeting place of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. From here, Paul goes on and tells the entire story of Jesus. You should go back and read this after today. It's, it's incredible. He goes on and explains. He starts with this part, part and goes on and talks about the story of Jesus and the difference it makes uh, to the people in that day. Did you catch that? Did you catch what Paul did there? He didn't start with, this idle thing is totally screwed up. Or he didn't start with like, hey man, like here's a great idol. Let's put the Jesus idol out front. He chose a third way. He chose to not reject the culture or to simply blindly receive the culture. He chose to redeem the culture. Let's say redeem together. Let's say together, redeem. Now, what does redeem mean? It's one of those like churchy words, right? Like you don't hear that word a lot. It's not like, 
You often hear that in everyday conversation. I remember when I was a kid, I do actually remember this. They used to have like pop bottles. This was like pre-recycling. You used to take like a pop bottle and take it down to the store and you could redeem it there. You'd like, after you're done drinking it, I don't think this happens anymore, right? Because we just recycle it um, or you're supposed to recycle it. Um, you know, you take it and, and you'd go down and there's nothing left in it. And you would take and hand it in and then they would give you something back. They would give you, redeem it and they give you some money back. Redeem simply means to find value in something worthless. That's what Paul did there. He found something of value, or he found something valuable in something that was worthless. The big example of redemption or redeem is Jesus. Jesus redeemed you and I. He took our broken, worthless lives and turned them into something amazing through his death on the cross and his resurrection. He takes broken things and turns them into something new. Paul, in this moment, he chose to redeem it. He chose to redeem these idols. He chose to turn something negative into something positive. There's a couple things uh, he does there. First of all, I love that he, you see him observing. He's just kind of wandering around town. You know, the, Paul, the fact was that Paul could have just hidden away and be like, I can't go out there. I don't want to see that. I can't I have to hide my eyes. But that's not what Paul did. Paul actually engaged in the culture around him. He was aware of what was going on around him. You, even, you get this sense when he first started talking there, that it was like, I've been walking around your town, kind of trying to understand everything. He observed what was, what was going on. He also complimented them. I love, I love how Paul starts this conversation, right? He starts out with saying, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now, to our modern ears, I know that doesn't sound like a compliment. Like in some ways it might be like a backhanded, you know, slap or something like that. But to, to, to Paul's folks, to the day in Paul's day, he was praising their spiritual curiosity. He was saying, man, you're just so religious religious, you're, you're filled with faith. And he complimented them. He, instead of starting with a kind of a jab, he started uh, with a compliment. And then, you know, finally, he also, he starts to build a bridge. That's what we've been talking about in this whole series, right? He found this thing within their culture, the temple of the unknown God, the idol of the unknown God, and uses that as a conversation starter. You see, why is that important? He, Athens at the time, they were known as like super smart people, or actually, more importantly, they wanted to be known as super smart people. And so what he says there is like, hey, I know that there's something here in your culture that you don't know about. Let me tell you about that. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus. See, their culture was they wanted to be known as people who knew lots. And so he was starting the conversation there and then began began to talk about Jesus. Man, this is a brilliant conversation starter. What an amazing way to engage people in the message of Jesus. It's sort of like spiritual jujitsu. Jujitsu is a martial art. And so, you know, jujitsu is the martial art of, of, re, of using your opponent's energy against themselves, against them. So when someone comes running at you, like, so let's say, so I'm not going to ask, I'm not asking for any volunteers here. Let's say someone comes running towards you. Karate would be, you know, you'd want to kick and punch and put blows towards that person as they come to you. Where jujitsu, as the person comes towards you, you simply redirect their energy and smash their head into a wall and, it, you know, they crumble up in a Jesus sort of loving sort of way. But that's what jujitsu is all about. It's about redirecting your opponent's energy uh, to where you want to go. Now, Paul does the same thing here when he talks about idols. He turns their negative influence in culture into something positive as a starting point for, to talk about Jesus. Now, don't miss the tension here. Don't miss the tension here about what Paul is doing. He's starting with an idol that, P.S., God in the Old Testament said, or we should have nothing to do with. He starts there and he redeems those idols and says he draws a spiritual value out of something worthless. 
You know, it's hard to overstate how irreligious Paul is being at this moment. The people who first heard this a couple thousand years ago, I'm sure they would have sat around and said, oh no, he didn't. They would have been blown away by the fact that he started with idols to talk about Jesus. Don't, don't miss this. He could have chosen to go on the offense and reject culture. He could have done that. He could have simply received them and blindly taken them in and said, hey, it's okay, it's okay, man. Let's don't worry about it. Sit back, have a shack drink. This is a shack drink, by the way. Sit back, just have that shack drink, no problem. Um, but he, what he chose to do was redeem. He chose to, to, to make something, uh, to bring value out of something worthless. So what's the outcome? What difference does it make in Athens? Let's keep reading along in verse uh, 32. You'll see here, uh, when, they, uh, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the, some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Diotrephes, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So Paul, he started with this idols in a pagan culture. He talks about Jesus, and people responded. People started taking steps towards Jesus. There's a couple different ways people respond. I love this. At first, there's like this group that, you know, some believed, right? There's a lot of times in Acts, if you've read through the books, book of Acts, where it's like Paul or Peter will get up and preach, and it's like 5,000 people came to know Jesus that day, which I think is like every preacher's dream, right? That's what, that's what they picture in their head. But you know what actually happens here is it's like, well, some, some believed that day. And you know, that's going to happen with us sometimes. You know, when we, when we talk to people about Jesus, some folks are going to respond. Not everybody. The next, there's this group. I love this group. Some wanted to hear more. This, 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 this group that you're almost like, you, you picture them like, ah, oh, that's interesting. I want to hear more about this. In fact, you might be here at Liquid, and you might put yourself kind of in this category, where you're like, yeah, I, I'm not totally down with this whole Jesus thing, but I want to hear more. And we're just so glad you're here. We're so glad you're a part, even a part of a series like this, which is a bit weird because we're talking about how to talk to people about Jesus. But we're just glad you're here. And it's interesting to see, we see that here with this group with Paul, that some people are like, hey, I want to hear you more on that. Sometimes in our interactions with other people who don't follow Jesus, our highest goal is simply to win the right to have another conversation with them, to keep the conversation moving along. And finally, there's this group right at the beginning where some people sneered, right? They kind of make fun of them. Take heart, friends. I know at least I do. You know, here is the greatest Jesus communicator of all time. At an incredible time in the story, this incredible pivot, uh, he does this amazing, you know, jujitsu thing, um, and some people still kind of laugh at him, and they're like, man, they make fun of him for his faith in Jesus. You know, that's going to happen. There's going to be times where people misunderstand you, and they might even make fun of you, and that's okay. That's a part of the way, what we should anticipate as Christ followers when we interact uh, with the world around us. I love that Paul went for the jugular here. You know, he could have started with, like, this whole idol thing and bid, like, okay, so, like, let's get rid of all these idols, and he could have used really wise words to explain to them why it's bad for community development to have all these, you know, idols out there, and he could have, like, kind of ignored the Jesus thing and tried to convince them, like, well, they really clutter things up, and, like, it's hard to get in and out of the town and all that. We'll just get rid of them. And they get rid of all that stuff. They, he could have done that. And, you know, he's a pretty smart guy. He probably could have convinced them of that. But he didn't. He chose to look past the idols and, co- and go and talk about Jesus. And I think you and I sometimes might be the same way where we interact with folks who don't follow Jesus. Instead of, instead of you know, we get all caught up in trying to get people to kind of believe, behave like us because it makes us feel better. It makes us less comfortable. Instead of talking about, or instead, we, we try to do that instead of talking about Jesus. Why are we surprised when people who don't follow Jesus live like 
people who don't follow Jesus. Our goal should be to try to interact with them in a way that, that helps them come to the point where they wrestle with this incredible story about Jesus and the difference he makes uh, in our lives. So what difference did, you know, what happened with Paul and his pre-Christian culture, what difference does that make to us today? What difference did it make to our family? Just my real personal, in my, you know, my little family. You know, the, the, you know, Halloween is one of those times that, you know, we felt that tension with. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, it seems like every year in every neighborhood, there's always that guy's house. You know that guy, it's like this guy here. You know, you're like, where does that guy find, like, the tombstones and the, all that stuff? And, you know, he sets all that stuff out. And I'm like, do I really want my kids out walking around in that? Is that really how I, you know, is this God-honoring? Is this the kind of thing I want my kids involved in? You know, it, it's really easy for me to reject it. But then I also do feel the tension on the receive side because it's like all the kids at school are talking about it. And I'm like, oh, maybe we should just don't worry about it and get the bloody mask and just move on and not, you know, not worry about it. Well, for us, in our family, we've tried to find a way to redeem this time of year, to use it as a bridge to connect with our culture around us, with our community, rather than as a wedge to divide us from the people uh, in, our, in, our rela- in our community. So every year at our house, we try to go big at Halloween. We try, to, we try to be that family on the block, but different than that guy. And we go big. And let me show you a picture of what that, you know, what that looks like. We dress up in costumes, um, and we rent a massive bounce house. Like, it's so big, it, like, barely fits on our front lawn. Like, we don't live in a big house. It, like, takes up the whole front lawn. We put on some music and throw a Halloween party. It's a lot of fun. We have a ton of fun. Now, some of you are saying, like, is a pastor that throws a Halloween party? Shut the front door. You know, that's crazy. Why is he doing that? That's, you know, that's ridiculous. Well, I love that my kids are going to grow up having this memory in their heads. They're going to have this memory of, hey, we're trying to redeem the culture. We're trying to find a way to connect with our culture. And they're not going to grow up with that, like, we're putting down all the blinds, turning off the lights, and, like, hiding under our bed. You know, just no one knows that we're here. Um, But we're trying to engage that, you know, we're trying to, you know, we know that our entire you know, neighborhood is going to show up in our front yard, and we're trying to find a way, you know, to redeem rather than reject it. This literally is, you know, the front yard gospel. You know, we also serve uh, coffee for parents when they come, because it's maybe a while since you've walked around with people, with kids at Halloween, but it's, like, really boring, Um, and it's, like, really tiring. You're like, okay, let's go to another 22 houses, and and so we, we serve coffee to parents when they come. It also, so that's like one, people like coffee. I don't even drink coffee, but I, it's kind of nice to offer that to people. But the other thing that's cool about it is it's really easy to talk with someone when they're holding a cup of coffee in their hand. I don't know why that is. Like something happens, you put up a cup of coffee in their hand, and it's like people will talk to you. And I remember a couple years ago, there was, uh, you know, I, I, we were hanging out in the front yard, bounce house is going, music is going, and, uh, you know, someone comes up to me and they said, hey, did you know Fred's in the bounce house? And it was like the whole world just slowed down. The reason why was I had heard Fred's name multiple times. This was the end of October. But I had heard his name multiple times from my son who had come home from school. See, Fred was the bully in class. Fred was that kid who, um, you know, they they get bounced around from class to class. And you just don't want Fred in your class because of the havoc that will cause. Well, it turns out that I hear Fred is in our front yard not only is Fred in our front yard, he's in the bounce ca- bouncy castle, and my son's in there with him. Um, and so I'm like a little bit nervous. I'm like, oh, man. So I go, and I slink over, and I notice. I'm just like, hey, everybody, hey, everybody. Oh, let's go look at what's going on there. And I notice that there's another dad standing there with his cup of coffee, and he's peering in actually even more intently than I was peering in. And it turns out it's Fred's dad. 
Um, and so I go over there, introduce myself. You know, he, he and I become, you know, we get to know each other a little better. You know, and that day began a conversation with Fred and his dad where they went from being just those nameless, in my world, nameless, faceless people that I had, you know, didn't really know to folks that I now have some, you know, relationship with. Roll the clock forward till this last spring. It's uh, spring, you know, spring baseball. My son loves baseball. And so it turns out my son's on a baseball team. And whose baseball team is, is, is he on? Fred and Fred's dad's baseball team. Now, don't miss what happened here. It all started, if it wasn't for this kind of pagan holiday and the giant bounce house and some coffee and a willingness to say, hey, God, how can you redeem this stuff? I would have never ended up in relationship with Fred and his dad. Now, the incredible thing through the spring, got to know him better. And I, my son, actually, just this week, we signed him up for fall ball. And I'm really hoping that my son will end up on the same baseball team again with him so that he and I, so that I can invite him to come to our mountainside campus this fall and we can continue that relationship. We're praying that God will use these seeds to see people take steps closer uh, to Jesus. So, so what difference has any of that made? I know some of you are thinking like, I'm allergic to that rubber of bounce houses. I really don't want to rent a bounce house. Or they're like, I don't even like chocolate. And like, okay, so and we're not saying, okay, everybody, here's the sign-up forms. We have a card in your program for you to get bounce house for your house. That's not what we're saying um, at all. But what we are saying is, I trust as a Christ follower today, you might be here today, and I trust if you're a Christ follower, you're concerned about how we can share the message of Jesus with the culture around us, and you're looking for ways to make an impact. And, you know, we can't rely on services like this to do that. There was a time where we could do that, but we can't rely solely on that. Did you know that only 17% of Americans attend church on a regular basis? It's true. Well, what do you think about your neighborhood? What percentage of your neighborhood will be walking around at Halloween this year? I guarantee you it's going to be more than 17%. And so if we want to reach our family and friends, we're going to have to figure out how to have the backyard gospel. Now, maybe it's in the front yard, you know, maybe it's in the backyard, you know, with some drinks, or maybe it's in the front yard with the bouncy castle, or maybe it's around the water cooler. A part of our job as Christ followers is to leverage the opportunities that are in front of us to present, you know, the incredible message of Jesus. And, you know, my sense is in the coming years, we're going to have more and more opportunities like this as individuals where we could make the choice to reject the culture, where we could wall ourselves in and hide in a holy huddle and say, I don't want anything to do with the culture around us. And we'll lose influence with the culture around us. Or we could receive it and just be like, hey, it's okay, man, no problem. It's all fine. But then we lose our difference. We lose, we lose what the message of Jesus is all about, which is changing us from the inside out. Where you and I have an opportunity to redeem what's around us, to, to creatively leverage culture for Jesus. Now, not all of us are going to face the same issue like Paul, right? Not all of us are going to walk, you know, you're not going to walk into, you know, the mall next week. Well, maybe you will. And there'll be idols all over the place and, like, people doing all kinds of crazy stuff to these idols. We're not going to have as blatant as an issue like that. But once you start looking for opportunities, you'll see them around you. Like, that, that, those guys that go out for drinks after work, you know, once a month, you know, there's an opportunity for you there to, to, to go and get to know them, to build relationships and start a conversation with the guy who's maybe not sitting right in the middle of all that, but that's, is looking for someone to talk to. Or, or, you know, maybe there's that class at your gym, which I can't remember the name of. Um, and, you know, what if you went there and began to continue to develop a relationship with your friend and asked the question and to- told them about the difference that scripture memorization and, you know, meditation is making in your life and how it's developing you spiritually? 
Or maybe you could rent one of the, or bring one of those projectors from work. It seems like every work has those projectors, you know, that they can plug stuff into. And what if you invited them over, if you're not into Bouncy Castle, but invite all your family and friends and neighbors over and project up on the back, you know, wall of your house and throw on a movie, get a fire and some marshmallows and sit down and start to actually talk with your neighbors. Have a conversation and see where it goes. Once you start looking, you'd be amazed how you can find opportunities to redeem the culture uh, around you. Today, I want to send you out as a redeemer. Now, this is a small R redeemer. Jesus is the big R redeemer. Uh, what does that mean? He took something worthless, our, our sin and our broken lives, and gave it up on the cross and gave us v- something of value back, our eternal life. But you and I, I'm asking us today if we would be redeemers. Really, that's where this series has been heading toward. Would we be the kind of people that would engage the world around us in the message of Jesus? In a minute, I'm going to ask everybody to stand together. I'm going to pray for you as we kind of end the service, as we turn the corner and, you know, sing a song and kind of continue on uh, with the rest of the service. And I'm going to, it may not be Halloween. It may not be the thing that you're like, hey, I want to do something with Halloween this year. But there might be other opportunities. Maybe you're in leadership in your work. You know, you have some people that you lead there. And you could ask God, God, how could you use these relationships to pe- see people take steps towards Jesus? Or, or maybe, you know, you're a stay-at-home parent and you could say, you know, Lord, I, I want to understand how I can help my kids be redeemers, not rejectors or receivers, but be redeemers. Or, or you know, maybe you're, um, you know, maybe you're a student and you want to find ways to draw connections between what you're learning and the incredible message of Jesus. Let's all stand together as we close uh, in prayer. You know, we're standing because as a church, we want to be known as the kind of place that seeks to redeem culture, to creatively lev- cult- re- leverage culture in a way that makes a difference in our world around us. I'm going to ask that God, for God's best for you, to seek God's best in your life as we, as we go out from the series and wrestle this through in our own lives. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for these folks. Lord, I thank you for their willingness to, um, you know, to say, I want to be a redeemer. I want to be the kind of person that finds creative uh, ways to leverage culture in my world, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, or it's in my neighborhood, if it's in the front yard, the backyard, the side yard. Um, Lord, I pray that you would give us incredible wisdom uh, beyond uh, our years, beyond who we are. Help us to see beyond just what we can see with our eyes and to see culture as, as a bridge, as something we could use to communicate the timeless message of Jesus. Lord, we know that there's all kinds of worthless stuff in the world around us, but I pray that you'd give us wisdom and discernment to see um, how we could leverage that for good things. Lord, send us out as people who are willing to follow you there who are willing to have the guts that Paul had, which was to stand up in front of his culture and to risk being misunderstood to point people towards you. Lord, help us to follow you in that this week, even as we go from here. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com. Or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.